It's the TCU versus Houston preview. Plus, new helmets. A baseball commit. TCU schedules a future non-conference opponent. Three games I'm watching this weekend and the weekly mailbag. All that right now on Frogs Insider. Welcome in. This is episode 27 of Frogs Insider. I am Jamie Plunkett. As per usual with our midweek episodes, Melissa will be along shortly. She is previewing TCU's matchup with Houston this week alongside Ryan and Brad from GoCougs.com. After that, I'll touch on a few bits of news and notes before diving into your questions in this week's mailbag. But before we do that, uh, a big thanks to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods and Homefield Apparel. You can check them both out uh, at Hell's Half Acre SG.com and homefieldapparel.com. Uh, they're both big supporters of the show. We love them over here at Frogs Insider, uh, and they are both run by excellent, excellent people. Very excited to have them be partners with us here on the show. Um, as you well know by now, if you're a returning listener, we are part of the Republic of Football Network over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find more information about our show over there. Um, part of a network that has podcasts for every D1 football program in the state of Texas. Super fun community of folks who are covering football here in the state. Uh, you can find all of our podcasts over at the Republic of Football Network feed anywhere you get your podcasts. So make sure that you check that out and listen to some of the other great shows in the network because there are a lot of cool people doing a lot of cool stuff all across our network. Um, all right, let's jump in. Uh, Melissa sat down with Ryan and Brad from GoCougs.com. You can listen to their podcast, talking about them Cougars on the Republic of Football Network that I just mentioned. So go and check them out. Check out their feed uh, and listen to their preview of the Houston and TCU game as well because you'll hear Melissa on that show as well. Um, they're going to give their take on the upcoming TCU-Houston matchup. But for now, let's jump in and let's listen to Melissa's conversation with Brad and Ryan. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Frogs Insider podcast on the Republic of Football Network, part of Dave Campbell's Texas Football uh, coverage of all of your favorite football teams in the state of Texas. Uh, super excited today. We've got a fun one for you guys as TCU is traveling to Houston this Saturday night for a game under the lights against the Cougars and their first ever Big 12 football game. And to preview that game and to I mean, we're going to touch a little bit about what happened last weekend for, for our, our friends, the Cougars, mm-hmm. because. We, we've got to while we can. Um, we are happy to be joined by Ryan Monceau, the publisher at gokoogs.com. Ryan, how are you doing today? I am pretty good. How are you? I am doing well. Um, hey, like I, like I told you before we started recording, um, really appreciate you taking some time. Uh, this is a big deal happening Saturday night. Houston is a team and a program um, that was part of the original Southwest Conference, spent some time uh, wandering the desert a bit, which TCU fans can certainly relate to, and has wanted a seat at the Big 12 table specifically um, for really much of the last decade or more. Um, and when TCU got that invite over the Cougars, I think there was a little bit of bad blood down there in South Texas. But uh, time heals all wounds, and here the Cougars are set to kick off their first season as a member of the Big 12 Conference when it comes to conference play. Saturday night, the Big 12 reps are going to be there. It's Big 12 homecoming, that kickoff of that event. And TCU, an old rival, which is certain, certain to become a new rival again, uh, will be traveling down to Houston, Texas. How are your thoughts about just kind of what an event this is going to be Saturday night? 
Well, my thoughts were a lot different Saturday at six o'clock. <laughs> fair, we thought fair. it was going to be this huge thing. And the air has been deflated out of the balloon. Um, it's still a really big moment in the school's history. Uh, this is something they've worked for for 25 years. You know, that decision came down in the February of 1994 to dissolve the Southwest Conference. And U of H wandered, you know, TCU went to what was the WAC Super 16, the big conference, U of H went to Conference USA and stayed there. And it turned out to be a better decision. Everybody thought the WAC was going to be a better decision, but Conference USA was more stable. TCU came over and those were probably the most fun games U of H mm -hmm. played in that conference were with TCU. Um, and then TCU goes to Mountain West Conference and the Big 12 and U of H went to the American and now finally here. And people that have been a part of this program for 30, 40, 50, 60 years, this is, I mean, they have been pointing to this. And this was, U of H has built up all summer different events and things pointing to this game. And my thought was that you better not look overlook UTSA Mm -hmm. And then if you can get past UTSA, then there's TCU. Well, they got past UTSA, but they can get past Rice. And the 28 nothing first half is, is as bad as you can imagine. Um, but it, historically, this is a big day. But U of H fans are coming in about as low as they've been in a decade. Yeah, you know, I, I think you brought up a good point is that UTSA, I think a lot of people around the country thought would be not a trap game, but a really good program that, you know, Houston escaped with a win a season ago, which was kind of one of the more surprising results, especially when you look at the seasons that both kind of went on to have. Um, and then yeah. this year, you know, I think Houston is, is by most people think will be one of the bottom teams in the Big 12, but they come out and they beat that really good UTSA team on the road in a, a just a, a raucous atmosphere in the Alamo Dome. Um, how much of what happened Saturday against Rice is just kind of that quote-unquote trap game, and how much of it is maybe a sign that some of the preseason concerns are kind of coming to roost here in the first month of the season? So the program, people in the program, players and Dana Holgerson, are saying they kind of overlooked Rice. Mm. <clears throat> but this is a cultural program or problem that – you have seen over and over again, where it, I think every college program is going to have one game a year where there's a mental letdown. It's just college kids. It's going to happen. But with U of H, it's happening four and five times a year. Mm. I mean, this is not the Georgia, you know, doesn't have a great game against an FCS school. This is consistently Last year, it was SMU, and UTSA did not play well. Did not play well against Texas Tech. Uh, Rice, you went down to the final play of the game. Uh, Tulsa, Tulane, I mean, they happened a lot. And you were down to Louisiana in the bowl game. So it's a cultural thing where you either play down to the competition or you are that level. And – you're going to see this year in the Big 12 whether they've been playing down or if that's just where they are. I have huge concerns, especially along the line. Uh, it's going into this week. I think the TCU offensive line hasn't given up a sack 
and have been stout in run in pass protection. And that's exactly where Rice beat U of H was underneath just dragging guys across the middle, eight to 10 yard pickups. And they did it methodically. It was 10 and 11 yard plays. I think they did it four times. And so it's not like they were flukes. It's not like, you know, up big touchdown pick six kind of thing. It was a methodical beatdown for 30 minutes. You know, you bring up culture and, and it kind of segues nicely into my my next question. Um, when Dana Holgerson was hired by the Cougars, what's been five years now, I think this is his fifth season in Houston. Um, it seemed like a home run in so many ways. It seemed like, you know, Dana would be a great fit down there. Personality wise, he'd infuse a program that's, you know, many have, have referred to as a sleeping giant with some energy and some excitement. Um, and he had a great run in 2021. Um, but that's really kind of been the one bright spot. Eight and five is is fine, like you said, especially in an American conference that wasn't bad last year. But I don't think he's elevated the program maybe to the, the expectations that most around the country and certainly around that Houston program had. Is this just a question of it not being a good fit? Is, is Hogel, Hogel not the dude? Um, what do you think has kind of been the, the disconnect between head coach and program? I think it comes down to philosophy at the end of the day. He, when he was at U of H as an offensive coordinator in 2008 and 2009, they just aired it out. And it was a fun offense. And as he went to West Virginia and now U of H, he wants to run downhill. And U of H just does not have the players to do that, both the running backs and the offensive line. And he's tried to fit this weird peg into the square hole, and it's just not working. And Dana actually got his start because of something that happened at Amon Carter in the Fort Worth Bowl. U of H lost to Army 70-14, to and Major Applewhite was fired a couple days later. And that's when uh, Dana was brought in, was the right at the start of 2019. And from day one, it just hasn't worked. They had the uh, red shirt people year the first year when Derek King basically just quit. Um, and it just hasn't clicked ever since. The 2021 team did win 12 games, but it never really captured the fan base. Hmm. Still doubt. There were, people always thought, you know, the next loss and we're right back to where we were. And it it happened last year. You you win that three overtime game with UTSA, and then you lose one on fourth and twenty with Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then a week later, can you score fourteen points to start the game against Kansas, and then they blow, put up forty eight on U of H in a blowout. And it it feels like every time they take a half a step, it's immediately met with three steps back. You know, I think that is Dana on the hot seat has been a, a question almost since his his first year, but there's kind of always been a reason as to why they aren't going to pull a trigger. It's certainly not for lack of money. I mean, the the Houston boosters could could raise some money. I think if they wanted to, I don't think that's much of a question. But there there's always something coming around the corner. You know, whether it was it was COVID, it was oh he went twelve and two, and now it's oh we're going into a Power Five conference. 
how much, what does he have to do this year to keep his job? Or do you think they don't want, I mean, did, did he keep his job this year just because they didn't want to bring in a new coach for a first year as a power five conference member? I think there was some ringing of bells in December of last year. They, I don't want to say they went so far as to consider it, but there was talk. Um, at the end of the day, the buyout is large. It is doable because it's paid monthly. It's not a big chunk. Mm-hmm. Um, but the AD and the president and everyone else has preached stability and, and trying to you know, you've got this huge new challenge. You have to spend all this new money to ramp up to where the Big 12 is. And, you know, there just weren't changes in a lot of sports where there could have been. Um, I think Dana gets this year, and we see. Um, with the schedule, the way it's set up, you have a lot of big home games this year. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it was UTSA to open it, TCU to start uh, the Big 12, and UT comes in uh, in the middle of October. And those are big deals. But, you know, TCU still not sold out as of Monday. Really? Game week. Yeah, there's a 1,000, 1,500, maybe 2,000 seats. Um, and so, you know – What's that enthusiasm going to be like? And then UT as well. Um, I, I just, I don't see it happening where they replace him. But it always comes down to who do you have lined up or who's available and ready to take the job. If you had a home run, maybe. But I just don't think it's there. I don't think the risk-taking is there right now. I think everybody's head still kind of darting back and forth and um, we'll just see, you know, he's got a, I think he has a whole year to show progress and what progress means is up to whoever's making this call. Is it just getting better? Is it winning games? Uh, but so far it's, you've got to be consistent and we haven't seen that consistency in a while. Not to correct myself earlier, I said that game against UTSA was a was a road game, but as you mentioned there, that was yeah, a home was game for the Houston. Cougars. Yeah, 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 that was that was my fault. It's all kind of running together. We're only two weeks into the season; it's not a great sign for the future. But um, let's talk about this team in particular. You mentioned how um, Holgerson wants to kind of run the ball downhill. They brought in a quarterback who seems, you know, kind of tailor made to execute that offense, and I think he's actually leading. Um, the Cougars in uh, yards on the ground, as well as, as being their passing leader. Uh, Donovan Smith, a lot of TCU fans are familiar with because he, he played a little bit against the Horned Frogs, and I think at a couple of games over the last few years. Um, he, if you look at his numbers, it's not necessarily that he's been ineffective, but he also doesn't seem to be kind of a game breaker. He's not really been a playmaker so far this season. Um, you know, his rating is almost at 130, which is impressive. He's completing more than 60% of his passes. Um, you know, he's got four touchdowns on the season and he's only thrown one interception. Is this a guy that, that you look like can be a a good Houston quarterback? Maybe, maybe not, you know, a great one. And there've been some great quarterbacks that have come through that program. Um, is he serviceable enough to, to elevate this offense, to be able to score in this conference? Or, or do you think that there are deeper problems in that quarterback room? I don't know. And <laughs> Fair. I, I mean, it's just, I don't know. Uh, 
I don't think he's the problem, but I don't know if he's the solution either. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, he has not been bad. He's had one turnover is a bad turnover, but he has largely taken care of the ball. Um, the right side of the offensive line is getting eaten alive right now. And I am sure uh, Sonny Dykes and Gillespie are in there plotting and they see it. I mean, it's not hard to see, um, but at right tackle, you're just getting eaten alive. And it doesn't matter how good Donovan Smith is. If there's a jailbreak on the right side, you know, you're just not going to be affected. You're not going to be able to do anything. Um, the left side of the line is actually pretty good. And so I'm curious to see if U of H can scheme it to where they put him in good position. So far, they have not. And the run game has been uncreative. It's a lot in between the tackles. The numbers look okay from Rice because the fourth quarter Rice was playing kind of a prevent keeping everybody in front of them, and there was room uh, to, you know, get outside and run a little bit. I don't see that happening with TCU. Um, you're going to have to prove that you can run the ball, that you can beat guys up front, and U of H has not proven that. On the flip side, and just since we're talking about lines, uh, the defensive line, which has been a strong suit at U of H, punting and defensive line is what U of H has had. Um, they have not been very effective this year either. There's some injuries. The starting nose tackle did not play this week. He missed most of the game the first week um, and his backup as well. So there are issues on the defensive line as well. But jumping back to offense, um, U of H has bragged all year that the strength of this team is wide receiver. Mm-hmm. You have a really good uh, number one guy, Matthew Golden, but he's had some problems this year with some drops and penalties. Um, a transfer from West Virginia year. And then you've got a solid third kind of possession receiver. But they're not doing a good job of getting them the ball where they need it. And if you're going to have a strength of your team and not take advantage of it, well, are they a strength? And so maybe this week you start to see that, but we still don't know what the identity of this U of H program is or what this team is. Um, And, you know, I I wish I had answers for you. I wish it was easy for me to tell you what we've seen, but it's the struggle so far just to, to, to dial it in and to figure it out. I'll, I'll tell you, based on what we've seen from TCU the first two games, uh, the biggest cure for a leaky offensive line is TCU's pass rush, which has been kind of kind of non-existent here early. They looked a little bit better against Nichols, but that's an FCS program. Um, and uh, if you're going to Donovan, – Donovan Smith isn't necessarily known as a passing quarterback. That's not necessarily his strength. But TCU, I mean, we saw what Colorado did to him. You know, Donovan Smith isn't Shadur Sanders, and Matthew Golden isn't even, you know, right. Travis Hunter. But – um, you know, I, I think that, that that secondary for TCU, which was touted to be the strength of that defensive unit, um, has a lot to prove this week against a Houston team that they should be able to control the passing game against. Frogs have been pretty pretty stout against the run so far, um, but they haven't really played a team that's been in a position to want to or right. need to run the football quite a bit. So I think that's going to be very interesting to see 
what that TC defensive front does against um, a Houston offensive line that hasn't necessarily delivered across the board to this point. Um, defensively, you talked about the defensive line not not really holding up, which is, again, a, a reason for TC fans to, to breathe a bit of a sigh of relief. Um, but what do you see the strength of that that defense being? Can they, you know, TC, you talked about Matthew Golden is, is kind of an alpha, maybe hasn't delivered this year. He's a guy TC fans really wanted and thought they were going to have here. Yeah. But TC is in the same boat and that they've, there's been a lot of talk about these wide receivers and, and how good they can be. And they haven't been bad, but they certainly haven't been superstars. Do you think that TC can have some success moving the ball through the air or are they going to have to get it done on the ground in order to kind of get things rolling against the Cougars early? Uh, so that is hard to say. Right now, I think U of H's best player on defense is Nelson Caesar. He's a defensive end, kind of a bandit. Uh, he had two sacks and a pass breakup and maybe another tackle for loss against Rice and a sack or maybe two against UTSA. Uh, but otherwise, it's it's hard to see. Frank Harris from UTSA, the quarterback, was obviously hurt and did not practice a lot this summer. So it was really hard to tell, you know, did the defensive backfield do a good job? Or was it just Frank Harris? Well, he didn't put up great numbers in week two either. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, JT Daniels of Rice yeah. carved U of H up, mostly underneath. He didn't really beat him deep. Um, and I, I think that's what TCU is going to do. Um, at least that's what Sonny's done in the past. And so I, I would say that Nelson Caesar and then on the other side of the line, David Aguebu, who was at OU, he was an uh, outside linebacker, wanted to play defensive line, came here to do it. Um, he's been good, not great. I'm looking for him to, to step up this week. Uh, but the, the back seven in that defensive unit is, is as big a question mark as anything on the team. They had a horrific first half against Rice, but a pretty good second half. And, you know, just another situation where I wish I could tell you exactly what was happening. But I think the coaching staff is in meetings right now trying to figure it out, too. Yeah. You know, normally, I, I, and I'll get a, a, a prediction for you, but before we kind of dive into to this game specifically, and how you think it's going to go, you know, in light of all the issues and, and you know, Houston being kind of in that in between, uh, they're almost in like a like a power five purgatory right now as you make that jump. What is it? What is it? Reasonable expectation for the program this season? What what would constitute a successful first season of power five conference? What do they have to do to kind of get the ball rolling in the right direction? I have said all year, four wins shows something. Mm. But one of those was right. And so if you get to four or five wins, I think that shows recruits that maybe something is building. And you have the opportunity. So the start of the year and the end of the year, you kind of have an American athletic conference schedule. So UTSA, mm-hmm. Rice, week three, Sam Houston, or week four, Sam Houston. And at the end, you have Cincinnati and UCF. So you have components of teams that you've played in the past and in those five I thought you're going to get five wins four wins maybe and then Baylor I always thought was an option looks like it's more of an option now yeah um we can always dunk on Baylor together we got that going for us right well yeah and Texas Tech 
And, uh, <laughs> but I need to see, is this team better after from week two to week four or five and then to week seven or eight and then to week 10, 12, 13, I want to see progression. And if they show progression, then that would make me feel a lot better. This team has not shown progression. This program hasn't since really the 2015 season. Wow. It's been kind of jerky and stop, start, and then never stop or never start. And I, I would like to see a team be better on October 1st and then November 1st and December 1st. I mean, that's, that's fair. I think TCU is kind of after that opening week loss is kind of in the same boat of you kind of re recalculate your expectations, but you, you want to, this is the first chance for really both of these programs against a power five opponent. This, I mean, I guess TCU played Colorado, but that's like, I don't even know what stratosphere to put the Buffalo in right now, but um, how, and in and, and kind of in that vein, how much of a rivalry do you think TCU Houston's going to be able to be? Like you mentioned in the past, um, these are teams that were together in the Southwest conference and then CUSA. Uh, do you expect this to be kind of one of the marquee matchups, especially if they go to kind of a, a four-team pod, which I think is is what we're all expecting when the conference expands to 16 um, in 2024? So here's the thing. TCU and Baylor and Texas Tech can be reasonably assured that they're going to be in the same pod. Mm-hmm. U of H is kind of a an iffy situation. So they could be paired like with UCF, in Cincinnati and West Virginia as an Eastern pot. I mean, Houston being Eastern is its own yeah. thing, but it's going to be either Iowa state or Houston. And neither of them are very Eastern. Um, if you're paired that way, then the rivalries with the Texas schools may not come to fruition as much as you would like. Hmm. If you are paired in that pod, I think TCU um, is like, probably the number two rivalry. I think Texas Tech and U of H, because they're both big state schools, makes the most sense. Um, but TCU, in terms of a uh, – your program was in the same spot, and I, I think there's more there. I think especially with Sonny Dyke and his relationship with Houston and Dana Holgerson and how that all traces back. Kendall Bryles, same situation. Yeah. Um, so, you know, everybody kind of uh, is intertwined like that. Even Doug Meacham worked for a year at U of H in yeah. 2013. Um, and so there is, if the pod system works out or however they're going to do it, because I think Brett Yormark is as big a wild card on these things as anybody could possibly be. Yeah, um, so true. I mean, he might just pull names out of a hat every year and that's who in the same division or pod or whatever. Um, so if they end up in that same pod or same division, for sure, TCU and U of H. But if you're only playing each other, you know, two out of every four years or two out of every six, I don't, I, you know, who knows how that's yeah. going to work out. Yeah, I could see if they end up not in the same pod of still being a protected rival or something too. It'll be interesting to see how that all kind of shakes out. But it's fun to think of the possibilities, what that can mean yeah, for, for the, sure. the four schools in the state of Texas. Um, okay, final question. Um, you know, you see, like I, I know you kind of you guys have that that hangdog look about you this week. We've, with TCU fans have been there before, but how do you see Saturday going? And are are you willing to put a score prediction down? 
I don't really do score predictions. Um, I could let me I let me think, it this way. I, I could do it this way too. If you if Houston wins, what goes right? If Houston doesn't doesn't win, what has gone wrong? If Houston wins, TCU's turned it over a couple of times. They're not running it very well still, and they're made one dimensional. And U of H. I've called Dana's offense uh, take three knees in a cloud of dust. And they're going to just try to control the clock, low-scoring game. Dana is very comfortable with that. Um, and so it would be like a 24-21 looking game, which I think would bother the TCU people just as much as losing. Yeah. Uh, but for – TCU to win. It's just U of H still doesn't have an identity. And it continues another week where nothing really makes sense. Nothing really goes together. Nothing's horrible, but nothing's good. And you just let another team outperform you. I think U of H is going to be hyped for this. I think that means they play TCU tough for a half or three quarters, it could mean that they're overhyped and TCU runs back an opening kickoff. You never know. Um, that's happened before in CUSA, a weird second half thing. Has, has um, it ever happened with a 250 pound linebacker because that's who returns kicks for TCU? No, but now I am captivated. <laughs> now you're intrigued. Now you're intrigued, yeah. right? <laughs> uh, U of H has like a five foot running back freshman returning kicks right now and so him and the linebacker that would be an yeah, interesting it'd be, yeah, it'd be, be a great photo um I, I think tcu wins a game and it's going to be a content bonanza for us but it's not it, it's going to it's just going to be ugly and if u of h can put something together if they can do something like they did in the second half against Rice. Now, you're not going to be in that same situation where Rice is just trying to kill the clock and get out of there. But I think this best-case scenario is you get to the fourth quarter with a chance. And yeah. if you've done that, then who knows what happens. And it's a weird Fox Saturday night game. Yeah. Which, you know, U of H hasn't played. Hasn't been in a contract with Fox. So we'll see. I think we'll see. It's kind of how TC fans are going into this one as well. Yeah. Um, Ryan, really appreciate your time and your insight. You. Uh, tell folks, yeah, tell folks where they can they can find your work and, and learn more about the Cougars. So it's gocougs.com, C-O-O-G-S. If you go to O-U-G-S, it goes to the BYU retail site. <laughs> don't go there. No, go to C-O-O-G-S. Yeah. Um, we're on all the social media. We do 25 pieces of content every week during football wow. season. Uh, yeah, tell me about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> tell me about it. Uh, but we're there. We're we're writing. We're talking football podcast interviews like this, uh, and we react after the game. Uh, live show from the stadium every week.
That's awesome. Well, I know we'll be tuning in to that live show for sure. Appreciate your time. People go check out GoCoogs for all the uh, most updated information. Thank you to uh, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, as per usual, and our sponsors, House Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel. Uh, Ryan, once again, really appreciate your time, and we're looking forward to what will certainly be a far more entertaining game than either of us probably won is going to be my guess. I want entertaining. If we get entertaining, that I mean, that's got to be a lot better, right? Yeah, that's got to be something at least. All right, thanks again to Brad and Ryan for taking the time to help preview this game. It's the first Big 12 conference game for Houston. Very excited to see what the fans are like. I'm going to be down there on Saturday night, 7 p.m. That game is on Fox, so everybody should be able to watch it if they're not getting down to Houston. So make sure you're tuned in to see the Frogs hopefully take on and win against the Houston Cougars got a couple news and notes tidbits here before we jump into our mailbag and three games that I'm watching this week. And the first one is that TCU unveiled new helmets for the Houston game. Uh, We got a tip on the site over at hornfrogblitz.com this week that new helmets were coming uh, and got some pictures early on the site, which was pretty interesting to see. I hope that guy uh, who posted those pictures is doing all right because they've been pretty quiet since those pictures went up. But um, uh, matte purple helmet with a bigger silver horned frog with red eyes on the side. It looks awesome to me. There's no TCU arch over the horned frog anymore. It's just the horned frog logo, which I think is pretty cool. Um, And the frogs are going with all white uniforms to match. So um, it's interesting every time. TCU debuts a new helmet. There's a lot of conversation around what people think of the new helmet. Does it look good? Does it look bad? Um, here's what here's what you need to know, and here's what you need to remember when you're thinking about uniforms. If you're over the age of 25, it doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you think. Does not matter what you think. What matters is what everybody who's on the team thinks about it, and everybody who's a recruit thinks about it. Because if they look awesome to a 16, 17, and 18-year-old, then TCU has done its job. That's who their target audience is for any helmets, any uniform changes, anything like that. I personally do love this new helmet, though. I think it looks great. Um, I I think TCU's uniform game is one of the best in the country, uh, and this kind of adds to that. We'll see if this is a one-time helmet situation, uh, but it looks like it's a in that same vein as the traditional helmets to where it could be reworn similar to uh, the black chrome helmet that they, they break out every now and then as like an alternate option for, for their headgear. Um, but very much, very much looking forward to seeing that thing uh, as the frogs take on the Cougars on Saturday. Um, another little bit of news, TCU baseball uh, recruiting never stops for TCU baseball. It is a year round activity for the coaching staff. Kirk Sarlos and his coach got another big addition for their 2024 class this week on Wednesday afternoon when Tyler Finau committed to TCU. Tyler is a right-handed pitcher for the 2024 class. He's got a sidearm delivery, goes fastball slider changeup, fastball touches high 80s to 90, 91. Uh, slider is a strikeout pitch. Um, he's about 6'6", 200 from Minnesota. Um, I had a chance to talk to Tyler a couple weeks ago after his visit to TCU. He's a good kid. Um, and was really interested 
uh, in playing somewhere where he could be outside more frequently for baseball year round. He, you know, being from Minnesota, he said that they're inside so frequently in batting cages, indoor facilities, all this kind of stuff. He wanted to be somewhere where he got a chance to play outside a little bit more often. And, and obviously Fort Worth and TCU offer that. He's got a great relationship with TCU's new pitching coach, Dave Lawn, as well. We talked about him a little bit, said that the 38 years of experience that Coach Lawn has were really attractive to him, as was TCU's winning program. Kirk Sarlos's uh, demeanor as well was another big reason that Finau decided to commit. Um, this is a kid that had a bunch of Big Ten offers. He had an offer from South Carolina to, you know, to go play in the SEC and uh, ended up choosing to, to come to TCU. So this is a really good addition for TCU's 2024 class, which if you keep track with baseball recruiting, that is the next class coming up. All of the 2023 kids are on campus right now. They just got here this fall. 2024 is kind of the main focus for TCU's coaching staff right now. Very good addition. I think that class is at 16 kids now. If you're a member of HornFrogBlitz.com, I've got a recruiting spreadsheet that tracks all of the kids that are committed for the 24, 25, 26, and even 2027 class, as well as an up-to-date roster of the current team. So if you're subscribed to Horn Frog Blitz, you can go, you can find that. It's in the pinned threads. If you're not subscribed to Horn Frog Blitz, maybe that's another little bit of incentive to get up there and get on the site. We've got uh, an incredible community of folks who would love to welcome you in uh, to, to, the, to the Horn Frog Blitz family. And then lastly, before we jump into the mailbag, one more bit of news, and this is one that's got some people stirred up. Uh, TCU has another non-conference opponent for 2026, and it is Arkansas State. They are, according to Brett McMurphy, paying Arkansas State $1.25 million to come to Fort Worth and play a one-off game with the Frogs. This is a G5 school. For those that aren't familiar with uh, with Arkansas State, it is an FBS school. It's a group of five school. Um then this is likely the SMU replacement for 2026. That's the first year that the Frogs and Mustangs don't have a game on the schedule. Uh, it's also a year that if they had continued to alternate with SMU, that TCU would have been in Dallas for the Iron Skillet. So instead of traveling to Dallas for a game against SMU, the Frogs are going to stay home and host Arkansas State. Uh, I, I talked about this uh, a few episodes ago when we learned that TCU and SMU were pausing the series or that TCU was pausing the series with SMU. And I got to tell you that I'm still okay with this. Um, you know, I mentioned last time we talked about this on the show that not every game that TCU schedules is going to be a power five blue blood school coming to play at the Carter. That's not a realistic goal for replacing SMU in your non-conference. What TCU is trying to do ultimately is get more home games at TCU every single year. There are years where take 2024, for instance, there's the possibility of only having six home games because that's a year where TCU is going to have however many uh, of nine conference games on the road, probably five. And then you come back and you say, okay, well that means they've got four conference home games how many non-conference games do they have at home? Well, they've already got two road non-conference games on the schedule for 2024 at Stanford and at SMU. If you only have a third non-conference game, that, that's only five. That's only five home games for TCU in a year. That's just not nearly enough for season ticket holders. And yes, the prices of season tickets will probably go up if they have seven or eight home games, but you get more Horn Frog football in Fort Worth, and that's not a bad thing. Plus, if you look around the country, this is another step in the right direction for TCU as a football program because they are trying to do things the way that other big national brands do things. 
Ohio State plays the bulk of their non-conference games at home. Alabama, Tennessee, USC, they all play most of their non-conference games at home. The same with Texas, unless it's for a big big game like Alabama this year where they have a home-at-home. And so you want to be in the best position to A, be successful, B, be considered a national brand, and C, provide your fan base with the best possible experience. And I think that the path that Jeremiah Zanotti and Sonny Dykes have the football team on as far as scheduling is concerned is doing all three of those things. It's checking all three of those boxes. So I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't have any problems with TCU dropping SMU from the schedule to build a schedule similar to this one. Arkansas State's not going to be a repeat customer, right? There's an opportunity to go get Tulane. There's an opportunity to go get Memphis or UTSA or UTEP, some other schools in the state that haven't played in Fort Worth in quite some time. And I think that's really good for the program. I think that's also really good for other, other teams in the state that maybe haven't gotten up to DFW in a while. Um, so there's a mutual benefit to, to TCU moving on from the SMU series and, and scheduling some other programs. Um, yeah, it's a bummer that a rivalry is going away. Don't get me wrong, but this isn't TCU's primary rival. And I think if it was a Baylor situation where the Frogs weren't going to be playing the Bears anymore, I would feel pretty differently about it. Um, but that's not the case. Right, that's not the case. TCU is still going to play their primary rival Baylor every single year, uh, and now they're going to have an opportunity to have a little bit more diversity in non-conference, which is not a bad thing either. So, Frogs and Arkansas State Wolfpack, I believe, are going to be playing in 2026 in Amy G. Carter for for a nice little paycheck of 1.25 million dollars going Arkansas State's way to help fund that program as well. All right. <clears throat> three games that I'm watching this weekend. Everybody's saying that this is not a very fun college football weekend as far as the schedule is concerned, and I could not disagree more. I am very much looking forward to a ton of these games. I'm excited about Tennessee, Florida, LSU, Mississippi State. Heck, um, <clears throat> I'm, I'm excited for the three games that I'm going to talk about right now. The first one is Kansas State, Missouri. Uh, I'm very much going to be locked into this one. It's at 11 a.m. on the SEC Network. This is two 2-0 teams that... Don't forget, we're Big 12 rivals for a very long time, haven't played in a couple years, and now they're going to meet out in Springfield, Missouri. Sorry, Columbus, Missouri. Columbia? Wherever the University of Missouri is, that's where they're playing. Um, Kansas State, in my estimation, is going to be one of the two teams in the Big 12 championship this year. They're incredibly talented, uh, very good up front. Will Howard's going to have an an abundance of time to throw the football in this game. Uh, and I think that, that the Wildcats are going to roll. I think they're five and a half point favorites right now. I, I expect them to cover that pretty easily. Again, that one's, that one's at 11 AM on the sec network and they're going to, the Wildcats are going to continue the sec's cold streak and non-conference play this year by knocking off the Missouri Tigers. Very, very excited about that game. Game number two, I'm looking forward to West Virginia and Pitt. I mean, who's not looking forward to the backyard brawl. This is a, a one of the oldest rivalry games in college football. Uh, they don't play it every year anymore, which I think makes this more special when they do get on the field and play. Um, this game started out with Pitt as a one-and-a-half-point favorite, and it has swung all the way to West Virginia being a one-and-a-half-point favorite now. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that Pitt got kind of rocked by Cincinnati in their own stadium uh, just last week. And so people are asking a lot of questions about this Pat Narduzzi pit program. And um, this is a, this is a make or break year for Neil Brown in West Virginia. There's a lot on the line in this football game from a rivalry perspective, from a coaching job security perspective. 
Um, and, and I just can't wait to watch this one. I, I don't know who comes away with this one. I'm probably staying away from this game. Um, but this one's at 6.30 on ABC if you want to check it out. That's the backyard brawl between West Virginia and Pitt. I will be absolutely locked into this one. And then the third game that I'm going to be watching this weekend is Ole Miss and Georgia Tech. Um, I've talked a lot about my Arkansas heritage uh, in past podcasts and, and in my writing and that kind of thing. You guys know my dad's a huge Razorback fan. Um, but one of his brothers, one of my uncles, is a big Georgia Tech grad. His whole family, my cousins, my aunt, my uncle, all went to Georgia Tech. They're all Yellow Jackets. They all love Georgia Tech a ton. And I'm kind of buying in to what Haynes King and this offense look like early on this season for Georgia Tech. I like them to cover this game. I think they're like plus 18 and a half. Um, and if you think back to this last week, Ole Miss gave up some good yards and, and points to Tulane with a backup quarterback in the game. They didn't take care of this game until late. They had a defensive touchdown that helped make this game look a little bit better for Ole Miss than it actually was throughout the game. Uh, and, and so I kind of like Georgia Tech to keep this one close uh, and see this new offense kind of light up the scoreboard a little bit. I haven't put a ton on film yet. Uh, I'm very much looking forward to seeing what Haynes King can do against this Ole Miss offense or this Ole Miss defense. That one's at that one's at 6:30 on the SEC Network. Um, <clears throat> very much looking forward to that game as well. So those are the three games: Kansas State against Missouri, West Virginia against Pitt, and Ole Miss against Georgia Tech. Uh, that I'll I will be watching this weekend. All right, let's get to the reason that some of you were listening. Let's dive into the mailbag this week. Thanks to everybody on Horn Frog Blitz who dropped comments in the thread that I started. Thanks to everybody who asked me a question on Twitter. Um, I think I got to all of them this week. We'll see. If I missed any, just shame me on social media, and, and I'll answer your question there. First one, Swizzle714. Give me a revised season prediction after two games. Okay, this is good. Um, uh, my original season prediction was 10-2. and two. Um, I said that I thought in order for this to be considered a successful season – TCU would have to be at least eight and four. I still think they get to eight and four. Um, that Colorado game was challenging for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to sit here and make excuses for TCU because in spite of all of the challenges in preparing for Colorado, for the team pretty clearly not taking Colorado as seriously as they should have for coming out flat, low energy, um, they still had ample opportunity to win that football game. Two red zone turnovers, uh, a missed field goal. You'll end up losing by three. Um, the offense looked decent in that game at times. The defense obviously struggled. Uh, and then in week two, they don't give up a touchdown to an overmatched uh, Nichols FCS op- uh, opponent when other teams across the country, Clemson, for instance, were, were giving up touchdowns left and right to their FCS opponent in week two. I, I think TCU still gets to eight and four. I really, truly do. I mean, if you look at the, the schedule, the way it breaks out in the next few weeks, they've got Houston, and then they've got SMU, and then they've got West Virginia and Iowa State. Those are four very winnable games for TCU, and I think if you get to that point, there's a question that kind of asks about future records, so I'm going to not touch on this too much right now. Uh, I think you start to build good momentum going into the back half of the schedule where you're facing a bunch of heavyweights in Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas Tech, Baylor, all on that back half of the schedule for TCU this year. So if they can get through the rest of the first half of the schedule unscathed, I think they've got a really, really good chance to still get to that 8-4 and four number, which in my mind, again, that's the marker they need to hit in order for this to be considered a successful year two under Sonny Dykes. Potlicker, 
can we expect a scheme change on defense in spring ball? Uh, I mean, if Joe Gillespie's still the defensive coordinator, I, I don't believe we'll see a scheme change. And I, at this point, fully expect Joe Gillespie to still be the defensive coordinator in 2024. Um, there's no reason, I think, for TCU to panic two games into a season because of how the defense has, has played so far this year. Um, no, the tackling has not been great. Uh, there are still questions about how many athletes they have on that side of the ball who are capable of keeping opponents from exploiting some of the weaknesses in the three, three, five. And and when I say stuff like that, that's not necessarily an exclusive critique to the three, three, five, because every defensive scheme has exploits, has, has weaknesses that offenses, if they are good enough and talented enough can take advantage of. We saw this at times with Gary Patterson's four, two, five, there were teams that were very good at moving their running backs out of the backfield. I mean, how many times did we see an open wheel route against Gary Patterson 425 defense? It felt like almost every game because people knew that it was going to be there. That's that's a weakness of that defense. There are similar weaknesses to the 335. The thing about last season is that you had D winners and Dylan Horton and Trey Hodges Tomlinson who were able to mask some of those deficiencies or make up for some of the weaknesses in a three, three, five. We're still waiting for a couple guys to step up on that side of the ball this year. Um, and I, I take heart in knowing that there were a lot of moments in that Colorado game specifically where guys were in position to make a tackle. They just didn't. And then I watched the tackling improve in week two. Yes. Against an FCS team, but it still improved in week two. Uh, and now we have an opportunity on Saturday night against Houston to see if they made more progress. So, uh, I think it's way too early, way too early to be talking about changing coaches, changing schemes, doing all this other kind of stuff. Um, I, I think at this point, it's a matter of they got hit in the mouth. Now they're going to adjust. We're going to be able to see their adjustments and we can kind of comment on it and go from there. Um, but it's it's way too early to talk about scheme changes in the spring and all that kind of stuff. Army Frog Fan gives us four over-unders. I love a good over-under. I love me a good over-under. Army's given me four player over-unders for this game against Houston. The first one, Samani Bailey over under 100 rushing yards. And I meant to look this up before I got on uh, and started recording. But uh, we're going to vamp while I uh, start to Google Houston Cougars football cumulative stats for this year to, to see what their run defense is like. Um, let's see. So they are giving up an average of 138.5 rushing yards per game. They've played UTSA and they've played Rice. So I think that TCU is going to have a good day running the football. It's something that they need to get back to doing well. They averaged over seven yards a carry against Colorado. And then if you take Chandler Morris out of the running game against Nichols, they averaged less than three and a half yards per carry. If that version of the offensive line shows up against Houston, and Monty Bailey is not going to have anything close to 100 rushing yards. If the offensive line that played against Houston, uh, the, excuse me, that played against Colorado shows up, I think Monty Bailey can hit the over on 100 yards rushing. Um, I think Chandler Morris's confidence might cut into Monty's rushing yards a little bit. Um, Morris talked after the Nichols game about taking a couple hits in the running game, running a little bit more than he did in week one, and how that's helping him get over the mental hurdle of, of running, which for so many athletes. 
they can come back and be fully physically healthy, especially from a leg injury. And that mental aspect is kind of what holds them back from going full speed in certain areas of their game. And that's been the case for Chandler. I think he's starting to overcome that. And if he continues to run the ball effectively, it's going to open things up for Monty Bailey a little bit more, but it's also going to make a, 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 a make the frogs maybe consider running Chandler more by design versus by scramble. So uh, give me Amani Bailey over for this Houston game though, because I do think TCU gets back to running the ball really well, like they did against Colorado. Jared Riley, Jared Wiley over under 45 yards receiving. Give me the over. Um, He got a lot of rest against Nichols, which is why we didn't see him similar to a bunch of other receivers, but he was the most targeted receiver or tight end um, in week one against Colorado. Uh, he had the most receiving yards as well. He had that excellent receiving touchdown. Could have had two if Chandler had gotten the ball out of time, out on time. Um, it's very clear that he is a big part of this offense, as we've talked about all offseason. I fully expect him to have more than 45 yards receiving on Saturday. Chandler over under 275 yards passing. This is an interesting number. If you had said 250, I would have been inclined to maybe go over. 275, though. I think I'm going to stick under. I think he ends up somewhere around like 260 again, like he did against Colorado. And the reason I say that is for a point I made earlier, I think TCU is, they want to run the ball and they want to run the ball well. If Chandler's going to be able to scramble and he's got more confidence, even in in passing plays, if he sees a lane and he takes it, it's going to take away from his passing a little bit. Uh, If Amani Bailey and the offensive line are, are blocking and running like they should, that's going to take away from the passing game a little bit. And so I think the Chandler has a good day throwing the football. I don't know that he's necessarily going to have the attempts to get him to 275 yards. We also haven't seen him push the ball downfield a ton. He hasn't had a lot of deep pass attempts. They've all kind of been short and intermediate out into the flat behind the line of scrimmage. Um, and if that's how this offense is going to operate, it's going to take him a long time to build up yardage that way unless guys start to break loose from tackles, which we haven't really seen yet outside of one nice Amani Bailey run. And that was a run. So uh, I'm taking the under on 275 passing yards. I think he gets close, but I don't, I don't think he hits the over on that one. And then the last one is really interesting. Savion Williams over under three and a half receptions. That all depends on how healthy Savion Williams is. Uh, He was dealing with a little bit of a bruise, uh, a muscle issue, um, which is why they kept him out against Nichols. Um, uh, He only had two catches uh, against Colorado, but he had six targets. You know, they, they want to get the ball to him. They've been trying to get the ball to him. But when you've got guys like Warren Thompson who are catching passes thrown their way, when you've got guys like Jalen Robinson getting more involved, J.P. Richardson and Jack Beck, Jack Besh, and not to mention Jared Wiley, that's a lot. That's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, I'm going to take the under on three and a half receptions for Savion Williams on Saturday. Um, there is arguably more depth in this wide receiver room than there was last season. I know we've talked about that before, and you may you, you may think I'm crazy, but I truly believe that there is more depth in this wide receiver room than there was a season ago. There is not a Quentin Johnston on this team. That much is pretty clear at this point. There might not be a Darius Davis on this team, although I think JoJo Earl and J.P. Richardson can get pretty close to that. Um, But the amount of mouths that they're trying to feed from a wide receiver and tight end standpoint right now, it's going to be hard for any guys to consistently get six, seven, eight targets a game, which is what I think Savion needs in order to get four or five receptions a game. So I'm taking the under on that three and a half. TCU 1331. Have you heard anything about this supposed wide receiver fight? If so, I assume it's a non-issue. There were some rumors going around on the site earlier this week about some wide receivers getting into a fight. I haven't heard anything about it. I'll be completely honest with you. And even if I had, I wouldn't be terribly concerned. 
I, I it, fights happen at practice, guys. This is a team that has, I mean, without disclosing a ton, I mean, there are guys getting into fights in fall camp, right? And there are guys getting yelled at in fall camp. And so, um, this is just a part of football. This is a part of practicing. And when you're hitting the same guys over and over and over again, when you're fighting for reps, when you're battling it out to try and be the top dog, uh, you're going to get frustrated and rub the wrong way sometimes. And, and, and tempers are going to flare. That's just a thing that happens. Uh, I, I don't have much more to say about it beyond that. I, I don't think it's an issue at all. Um, and I, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's just something that happens and it's not anything to, to, to make a big mess about. It's not anything to fuss about. It's just part of football. It's part of practice, part of, part of that brotherhood. I have no doubt that the guys that maybe got into it a little bit, if they even did, um, that they squashed it right after practice. You know, uh, this, this doesn't strike me as anything to, to be concerned about. Um, task force frog does seeing the team's performance so far impact who and what position you personally have as number one among your recruiting targets for the 2024 class. Uh, this is definitely more of a Jeremy question. I'm starting to get more into football recruiting. I'll be completely honest. I'm not all the way there yet, but I think the pretty clear number one objective for TCU football right now has to be linemen on both sides of the ball. You've got to get more offensive linemen in here. You've got to get more defensive linemen who are capable of beating a man and getting pressure on a quarterback. That I, 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 Defensive line is probably my number one priority at this point if I'm the coaching staff for TCU. They've got a ton of young talent, right? Like they've, they've been recruiting the defensive line really well. Look at Marcus Steele. Look at Dom Williams. Some of these other young freshmen, Avion Carter and, and Zachary Chapman, are going to start showing their heads pretty quickly here. Paul Oye Wallace had a decent start to the year. Um, they got to get more pressure consistently, though. And I think they're going to continue to look around the country to see, see who can help them, help them do that. Um, you're also losing a lot of secondary guys this year. So maybe, maybe safety corner. Um, and defensive line; those are those are the the kind of priorities I think for for this team right now. Um, Life of a frog asks, "What are some of the things? Uh, on, what are some things on the field that have positively and negatively surprised you the most?" Let's start with negative, so we can end on a high note. I have not been impressed. Mm. Let me let me take that back. It's not terribly surprising to me that the offensive line has regressed a little bit when you lose Steve Avila. He's starting for the Rams right now. That's tough. When you lose Alana Lee and Wes Harris, two guys who had six years of college football experience under their belt, you're not just going to be able to replace that, right? Even if you've got incredibly talented guys at that position. And so I'm not necessarily surprised that the offensive line has, has regressed a little bit this early in the season. I think that it has done so more than I expected it to for who TCU's first two opponents have been. Um, they gave up pressure on Chandler Morris at really inopportune times late in that Colorado game. They gave up pressure against Nichols State. Uh, they couldn't run the ball well against Nichols State. Those are those are points of concern, I think, at this point in the season. I will say this, though, in their defense, they also haven't given up a sack yet this year one of the few schools in the country that hasn't allowed a sack on their quarterback yet. Some of that has to do with Chandler's mobility, but they have overall done a decent job of blocking. It's just not where, where TCU needs it to be in order for them to do the things that they want to do on offense. What are some of the things that have positively surprised me? Uh, I love how Imani Bailey is running the football. 
I absolutely love how hard he runs with the football. I think Jeremy said this on the Frogcast earlier this week. He runs like he wants to score every time he touches the ball. And I love that mindset. I love how aggressive that makes him. And it still, though, hasn't made him aggressive to the point where he's missing opportunities to gain yards. And what I mean by that is he's still patient enough in the backfield to get where he's supposed to go, to let the block develop, to let the hole open up. And then he hits it and he goes and he runs like his hair is on fire. Uh, I've been very pleased, very pleased with what Amani Bailey has brought to the table so far this season. Ultimate Frog asks, <clears throat> is Wiley healthy? He is healthy. Um, I, I talked about it a moment ago. He was just getting some rest like a bunch of other receivers were against Nichols. We saw a lot of DeAndre Rogers in that Nichols game. You saw a little bit of Chase Curtis in that Nichols game as well. Um, two of the backup tight ends getting some more reps is never a bad thing. When you got a guy like Wiley, who you already kind of know, we can rely on this dude. Let's get some other guys in the game uh, and see what they can do for us. ATX Nav. <clears throat> Cordell Russell is listed as or on the depth chart with Dalen Wright and Warren Thompson. Why haven't we seen him on the field or targeted as much as those two? Well, I think the reality is that Warren Thompson's the wide receiver on this team that knows this offense the best, right? That's why he leads the team in catches and yards right now. Dalen Wright's an older guy who's got a ton of experience, who's a freak athlete that they know can contribute right away. And it's not necessarily that Cordell Russell isn't that because I think that he has the opportunity and time to be one of the better wide receivers CCU has ever had in the program. I, I, I truly believe he's got the talent to be on that Josh Doxson, Quentin Johnston level of receiver. I, I truly do. He's got the size and the athleticism at the very least. Um, but the reality is, is that when you've got guys who understand this offense a little bit better, they're, they're going to be the ones that play. Um, that being said, Dalen Wright didn't play on Saturday, and Cordell Russell got a good number of snaps. He didn't get targeted, but he was on the field quite a bit. Um, there were one or two moments where Chandler missed him, frankly, uh, where he was open a little bit further downfield, and Chandler chose to, to throw closer to the line of scrimmage. Um, but he's going to get his. Like I'm not worried about Cordell Russell getting his, getting his snaps, getting his playing time. He's a priority for this offense, for this staff. Um, he was a priority in recruiting. He was their first recruit that committed, I believe, to the 2023 class, if, you, if you'll remember. Um, <clears throat> he's a guy that they've loved for a really long time. And he will get his in due time. That's not a, that's not, a, a, I don't have a doubt in my mind about that. Mantikos asks, why has no one asked Dykes why our, our DB coverage is so soft or if schematic changes are needed giving our, given our dismal performance on D throughout 2023? Well, I mean, I guess uh, you go back to last year, and yes, they, they struggled against a Michigan offense that, that threw the ball around on them in the second half. We all know the national championship game at this point. We don't need to rehash it. Um, I don't – I guess the question is asking me why I haven't asked Sonny about the def- defense or the coverage or, or changes that need to be made. And I guess just go back and listen to post-game press conferences from from Colorado and Nichols because you'll hear me ask about the defense. You'll hear Jeremy ask about aspects of the defense and other folks ask about aspects of the defense as well. Uh, People have been asking about the defense, right? They gave up 65 points to Georgia. People asked about the defense after that game. Um, People didn't ask about it in a rage-filled, 
fanboy kind of way um, because that's not appropriate or professional. But they have pushed Sonny on the defense and the struggles that they've seen over the last you know five games that TCU has played. Um, and he's been pretty forthright and honest about the disappointment that he's had at times in the defense. He, he flat out said this was uh, against Colorado. He said that was a horrible defensive effort. It was terrible. Uh, he said there were not a lot of good things you could take away from that kind of defensive performance. And then he talked step by step about what went wrong. He mentioned the tackling. He mentioned the effort. Um, he mentioned how, um, you know, Colorado did some really good things to take advantage of the defense and that they didn't adjust, right? This isn't a, this isn't a situation where a coach is going to come in to, a, to a, a press conference and be like, you know what, Jamie? You know what, Jeremy? That's a really good question. I'm going to change the whole scheme of our defense right now. I'm going to go tell Joe Gillespie to do that. That's just not how it works. That's just simply not how it works. Um, and so we have been asking questions about the defense. If you go back and watch those press conferences, which you can find on the Frogs Insider YouTube, shameless plug, and on the Horn Frog Blitz YouTube, um, you'll hear people asking questions similar to that about the defense. Um, and Sonny's pretty pretty honest in his answers as well. If there's another bad defensive performance on Saturday night against Houston, we'll be asking more questions about the defense on Saturday night. You can guarantee that. And guarantee that for you that that we'll be asking those questions, um, and and Sonny Dykes won't shy away from answering them either. He's he's proven to be as honest as any coach I've encountered uh, in, in the press room. Um, Perp Gang twenty three forty one. Who do you see stepping up as our reliable number two running back out of our group? This is a very good question. I don't know that I have a fully formed answer for you at this point. Uh, we've seen what Trey Sanders has. Um, I understand the the desire to load to, to kind of manage the workload um, for him. I think, and this is going to sound a little weird. I, I'm I'm wondering how much Trent Battle we're going to see on Saturday against Houston, and that's for a couple different reasons. First of all, Trent's a really good pass catcher out of the backfield. He showed that at times last year. I think every, I made a joke last year in the press box that every time we see 17 on the field, you know, a wheel route's coming because it felt like every time he was out there, they were throwing that wheel route and that he was wide open. He was very good at running it. He has good hands. Um, he ran the ball really hard last year. I know that uh, running backs coach uh, Anthony Jones thinks pretty highly of Trent Battle. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see him start to get a little bit more run here if Trey Sanders continues to struggle the way that he did. He had 13 yards on five carries against Nichols. That's simply just not going to get it done. Um, and so I, I wouldn't be shocked to see a little bit more Trent battle. The reality, though, is, uh, and I'll say this, the number two running back on this team ultimately will be the, the running back that can block the best. Right? Uh, you want to think about how critical running backs are in an offense like this where you sometimes need a guy to pick up a blitzer so that Chandler can get to the point on the field where he needs to get to to throw the ball. Um, this is the reason why Amari Di Mercado got so much playing time for the last three or four years. And I saw on Twitter and, and everywhere else all of these complaints about Amari Di Mercado throughout the years about why is he on the field? We've, we've got Zach Evans and Kendra Miller. Why is he on the field? We've got Zach Ev like we've got Kendra Miller. What, what's he doing out there? We've got better running backs. We've got better running backs. He was, but from the time he stepped foot on campus to the time he left, Amari Di Mercado was by far the best blocking running back that TCU had. 
without a doubt. And that's what he hung his hat on, and that's how he got playing time. And then he got a running backs coach who knew how to unlock his potential in the running game, and we saw how that worked out for him last year. He got on the field because of his blocking. He stayed on the field because he ran the, ran the football hard last year. He helped TCU win that Fiesta Bowl, and that got him a job at the NFL. All of that happens because he came into TCU and said, I'm going to be the best damn blocking running back on this roster, and he was. And if there's a running back in that room right now that wants to step up in the same way and say, I, I might not get the most touches, I might not get the most rushes or rushing yards, but I'm going to block everything that moves before it can hit Chandler Morris, that guy's going to be the number two running back that gets the most playing time behind Imani Bailey. And if it's Imani Bailey, well, folks, we might just have ourselves a feature back. Whoever decides to step up in that room and block, that's going to be the guy that gets the most play. TRF51. What's going on, my guy? He asks, does Shad Banks end up playing the majority of snaps, or will we see 57 continue to suck up the snaps? Seems very obvious that Shad is by far the better player. I don't know that I necessarily agree with that. Love Johnny, but his lack of athletic ability is noticeable. And then throw in the fact that he talked a big game and came out and whiffed on several tackles. If you're going to talk, you need to back it up. Couple thoughts here. I think Shad is the better athlete. That's not really debatable. I still think Johnny is the better linebacker. When Shad puts it all together, he's going to be excellent. Uh, I've seen a ton of progress from him. I know Jeremy would say the same thing. And I think he has earned more playing time at this point. Um, And we'll probably start to see him get more snaps over the next couple of weeks as well. Um, But I don't know that I would necessarily agree with the statement that he's the better linebacker than Johnny Hodges. He's a better athlete, but there's more, more to it than just being an athlete, especially at that position. Um, Hyperfrog. If we lose this game, we are likely in another season where we are fighting to get to a bowl game. If we win, especially if it's a convincing win, we could flip the switch and this could propel us to an 8, 9, or 10 win season, just stating how important of a game this is for the trajectory of this, this season. I agree, Hyper. I, I, this is a game that TCU needs to win. It's not a must-win game, but it is a, a game that they need to win because this is beyond just this season too. <clears throat> TCU is trying to establish itself as one of the dominant presences in the Big 12 when Texas and Oklahoma leave. That becomes far more challenging if you're losing games to Houston, if you're losing games to SMU, if you're losing these next the next few games to like West Virginia and Iowa State. They've got to start building some momentum. I think you're right. Um and if they win against Houston and if they do so in a clean, convincing fashion, then yeah, I, I, I agree. I think that that could start to help them build a little bit of momentum that they've been missing. Give them a little bit of that energy that's been lacking so far this season. Ludacliff. Okay. What's up, buddy? All right. Last time I'm putting myself out there. How many can I do you for? This is a picture of my head on a hoodie with little text bubbles coming out, speech bubbles that say chance Nolan hats are number one and go frogs. Yay. And then in a frogs frog script underneath, it says plunky town. Yeah. I'm going to need a plunky town hoodie. I'm going to, I'm going to cop a plunky town hoodie from you. 
Uh, that is that is the best thing you've ever created, Luda. That's excellent stuff. Um, Luda also asks, thoughts on Dave Aranda getting canned after this season? Uh, it's a possibility. It's a possibility. I mean, things have not gone well for Baylor. They're 0-2. Um, uh, they play, I don't even some FCS school this week. So that'll be a win for them that they can kind of start to write the ship, but the defense hasn't looked great. Uh, Blake Shapin got hurt and Sawyer Robertson did not look good at all against Utah. Um, this was supposed to be easier for Dave Aranda than it has been considering he took an 11 and one, a roster that went 11 and one in Matt rules final year. He won the Big 12 with it, but for whatever reason, he could not rebuild. He could not get the recruits in there to continue on that momentum. Uh, and, and when you lose momentum at a school like Baylor, it's similar to TCU. It's really hard to get it back, especially if you're not recruiting well. TCU had the benefit in all of those years in 18, 19, 20, and 21 when they were struggling on the field of still recruiting at a really high level. They were consistently recruiting the number three class in the Big 12 behind Texas and Oklahoma. Baylor was down in the bottom half of the league as far as recruit rankings go. And when you're losing football games and you're not recruiting talent at the same level as your conference mates, things become really, really difficult. And we're starting to see how that bears out for, for Dave Aranda and Baylor. And I'll be honest, I, I, I mean, I, it's Baylor. It's, it's the biggest rival, uh, and I don't care for them particularly. But I like Dave Aranda. I think he's a good coach. And, and it kind of sucks to see this working out this way for him because I would have loved to see Baylor have success under him and, and to keep that rivalry one of the key rivalries in the Big 12 because uh, I think that's really good for the Big 12 when Baylor and TC were good at the same time. So uh, I'm disappointed that it hasn't worked out for Dave Aranda down there in Waco, uh, and I, I would not be shocked if things continue the way that they've gone if, if this is his last year wearing green and gold. Frog Truth 101. What does the defense have to do to get back to how they played against UT last year? Feels like forever since we didn't give up at least 30 points. Well, they gave, they gave up six on Saturday against Nichols. Um, I know a lot a lot of you don't think that game counts, but they still played it, uh, and that's what happened. Um, Got to go back to the last regular season game of last year. For the last time, TCU didn't give up 30 points before the Nichols game uh, when they gave up 14 against Iowa State. Uh, I believe they gave up 28 against Baylor. And then uh, less than 30 against Kansas State and then 10 against Texas. I I don't have the schedule in front of me. I think that's somewhere around right, though. Um, Look, and I said this earlier, the defense scheme-wise hasn't really changed a ton, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. They just got to find the horses to run the scheme the way it's supposed to be run, you know? And I like what I've seen from Namby Obiezor. He led the team in tackles against Nichols. Uh, I think he's a pretty good athlete, obviously moving down to linebacker from that safety spot. Uh, if he's a guy that can catch on pretty quickly and start to learn, and, and he's playing that D-winner star position, I think we'll start to see this defense shore up quite a bit if he's a guy that can go out into the flats and into some open space and make some tackles, make some plays. Uh, I think that'll go a long way to helping this defense out. And like I said last week, you got to find a defensive lineman that can get some pressure, right? Rick DeBrew's done it a little bit. Dom Williams did it a little bit. But the most energy we've seen from the defensive line was when some of those younger guys were in in the fourth quarter against Nichols, and that just can't be the case. That just can't continue to, to be that way. You've got to find some more energy and, and more pressure from your defensive lineman or it's going to continue to be a long season for the defense. 
Pluto asks, Pluto Brown uh, says, there are several offenses in this league that will pick apart defenses all day that don't put a heavy emphasis on rushing the quarterback and or executing that part of the game. Fully agree. For three or four years, TCU has had below average pass rush. Is the defensive is the defense actively looking to reverse this problem? I would think we are, but it doesn't feel like we are. So here's part of where this is a little bit of a different question than what's been asked prior, and so I'm going to take a different angle in answering it. Because to this point, we've just talked about not having the horses to run the defense. Part of the reason for that is because the scheme change was just significant enough to where the roster wasn't really constructed in a way that allowed this defense to thrive right out of the gate. Gary Patterson's defense relied on undersized defensive linemen who were fast, who could beat bigger offensive linemen to the point of attack and get in the backfield and create some chaos. This defense relies on big dudes to fill holes. And <laughs> as Josh Pate says, immunity. Um, they've got a couple, right? Like, But they're all young dudes still. I mean, Don Williams is only a sophomore. Marcus Steele is a true freshman. They're trying to get bigger bodies in there, but they haven't quite gotten all the way to that point yet. Caleb Fox gained 20 pounds in the offseason, and he's not moving very well right, right out there right now at the edge. Um, but they needed some bigger bodies out there. Um, so they're trying to find this combination of athleticism and size that historically TCU simply has not recruited along the defensive line. And they're getting there. I think they've got some good additions to this 2024 class as well that are going to help them in that regard. Um, but I would not be shocked if as this season goes on and into next season, we see some of these younger defensive guys that are currently on the roster start to have um, a bigger impact on the game. I, I really, I, I believe very highly in Paul Oyewale's ability. Michael Abukuno Coyote's ability is, is starting to shine a little bit too. Um, Marcus Deal and Dom Williams, who have already mentioned, I think these this, Zach Chapman. This is a good Avion Carter. This is a good core group of defensive linemen. They're just very young, and I think development's going to be key for them. Uh, Coach McFarland's going to have to to buckle down and do an excellent job, which he's already been doing, uh, to get these guys ready to play in this system. Uh, and so I think uh, with time, we are going to see this defensive line start to get more pressure on opposing quarterbacks. GoFrogs08 asks, do you think we start seeing more young guys get meaningful playing time on defense? I do. I do. And this is something that Sonny Dykes has hinted at in, in a couple press conferences in a row now where guys that are making plays are going to start getting more playing time. Uh, and so you saw a couple guys make some plays late in the game against Nichols. You saw some young guys make play. Uh, Chase Biddle got out there uh, and had a pretty good game at safety, right? Um, and so w I would not be surprised to see some of these young guys get more meaningful playing time because ultimately this coaching staff is going to roll with the dudes that are going to help them win. It's one of the reasons Chandler Morris didn't get his job back once he got healthy last year. Max Duggan was on a roll and they let him ride it out and he took TCU all the way to the national championship. Um, so, so I think that this is a coaching staff that's content to let the guys who are giving the most effort and making the most plays earn their way onto the field uh, and see more playing time. Brian Banks asks, TCU will score 100 points against Houston SMU in West Virginia. You get to choose how those points are distributed in order to give us the best chance to win each game. What's your split? I love this question. I love this question. So I have 100 points to divide up between those three games, and i got to get a win for the Frogs in each of them. Give me... 
Give me 27 against Houston. I think that'll get it done against the Cougars. Which means that I got 73 left. Ooh. You're gonna need a you're gonna need a chunk against SMU, I think. I think you're gonna need 42 against SMU. Just give me 42 against SMU. 42 plus 27. God math. You're making me do math, Brian. I do not appreciate that. 42 plus 27. 29. 69. Nice. Um, is that right? Yes. 69 points. So I've got what 31 left. Let's use them all against West Virginia. I think that'll be too much. I don't think you'll need that many. Let's actually flip it. Let's go 31 against Houston, 42 against SMU and 27 against West Virginia. And I think you still got a point to spare or is that right at a hundred? You guys do the math. I can't do math. 31 Houston, 42 SMU, 27 West Virginia. I think you went all three. All you win all three of those games for TCU. Go Frogs 569. Recruiting updates. Uh, well, I gave you a baseball one earlier. Can we count that? Um, Nick Cody is going to make a decision here later this month. He's a hoops power forward 2024 class. Big, big, big target for TCU. It's down to Houston, Texas, and the Frogs. He's the number 46 overall player in the class. Should be making this decision here shortly. Micah, Rich, uh, Micah Robinson is another one. A, a small forward in the... 2024 class who TCU's really, really high on. He's the number 119 overall kid in the class um, who is going to be making a decision between TCU, Vanderbilt, and LSU pretty quickly after his last visit. He's visiting LSU this upcoming weekend. Is it this weekend? It might be next weekend, the 23rd. Uh, and after that, he's going to be making his decision as well between those three schools. If TCU lands both of those guys, I'm very, very excited about this 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 class. Um, if they land one of those guys, I'm very excited about this class. Trent Perry is another kid, a point guard, combo guard from California. I think he's like the number 100 overall player in the class. Um, another guy that I'm very excited about. Uh, TCU potentially getting their hands on and, and uh, bringing, to, bringing to Fort Worth. Uh, they've got a lot of really good targets. Football, um, you know that's uh, you know there were a ton of guys at the Colorado game. I know that there was, despite the outcome, you know kids had a great time. Um, that 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 atmosphere was elite and electric, and the coaching staff outside of the the end result, I think, made the most of that weekend with a bunch of those kids. Um, not as many recruits here for Nichols, obviously, just because it's a smaller. Uh, smaller game, um, but I, I'll, I'll be interested to see who gets on campus for this SMU game and for the home games once Big 12 conference play starts to come to Fort Worth as well. Uh, I think the Frogs have a lot of a lot of really good options for for rounding out this 2024 class uh, and for getting a good start on the 25 class as well. TRF 51 is back. I don't know why I didn't just put these comments together. Any truth to Stanford and Duke dropping TCU because they will already be coming to Dallas? If so, I think it's a good thing and wonder who TCU might replace them with. Well. Stanford would have to drop a game next year. So I don't think that that's going to happen. Um, and if TCU travels to Stanford, there's no way they're going to let them drop the home game here unless they write them a pretty big check, which Stanford's got deep pockets. So I guess that's always a possibility. I haven't heard anything about other teams dropping TCU from their schedule. Um, there's a there's a difference in playing TCU in Fort Worth and, and SMU at Jerry World, Yes. One might be more attractive to those schools than, than the other. Um, but SMU is also going to be a conference game. You still got to have non-conference opponents. And what's wrong with playing a DFW twice, you know? I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I don't think those schools see anything wrong with that either, considering both coastal, high academic schools who, who want to break in to large markets a little bit more and, and 
DFW certainly is that. So I don't know if there's any truth to that. Um, I might poke around. I might not. We'll see. TCU ball three. Will we see more of Major Everhart at running back? I mean, we saw some of, some of that uh, against Nichols, but that was really just to try and get him more involved in the passing game. Uh, he was a running back in high school, as you all probably know. He moved over to wide receiver, that inside receiver spot when he got on campus because Doug Meacham really saw some potential there. And we've seen a little bit of that. Um, we've seen him mostly in the return game so far this year. I think that's probably where we're going to see him stick for most of the season just because of the depth of wide receiver. Um, but, hey, if no, no other running back steps up, anything is possible, man. Anything is possible. Cowtown Hero asks, how do you think Cam Cook will be able to boost the backfield, if at all, as the year progresses? I'm happy with what I see with Bailey, but I just think we are missing the Demarcado-type presence in the late second half. Cowtown, you've been paying attention. I am hopeful that Cook can give a spark down the stretch, but I'm not too optimistic giving his youth and early injury. I think he's probably a redshirt candidate at this point. You don't want to push him too hard and, and make that thing any worse than it is. Uh, and you're still trying to feel out who that number two guy could be. So I think it's early to say, all right, well, we're, we're abandoning all these other options and going to Camp Cook. Uh, and at some point, uh, if you, the more you give these guys time, the more likely it is that one of them establishes as, as the number two. Um, or you get to late in the season and you say, we're still just going to committee this thing, and maybe Cam gets a little bit of run here and there once he gets healthy. But I don't, I, I don't see him playing a major role this season unless something dramatic happens. Refram09, if we can get back to 6-1, and one, we'll be ranked going into the KSU game. One, is that still a reasonable expectation based on the results so far? I don't think it's unreasonable. It's less reasonable than it was before the start of the season. How high do you think we would be ranked by then? Uh, easily top 15. Six and one, probably closing in on, on top 12 at that point. Especially, you know, if Colorado continues to do what they've been doing, that's going to look like, you know, the quote-unquote quality loss. Uh, lastly, assuming we get to six and one, at what point in our six and one journey do you think we'll get ranked again? Three and one, four and one, five and one. I wouldn't be shocked if if they got ranked after uh, after beating Houston. If that's how this this game plays out, especially if it's a convincing win, uh, TCU's still in the polls for a lot of people in the AP poll. I was talking to one voter the other day who said that he almost put them back in the top twenty five after a win over Nichols. So I think a convincing win over Houston will get them back into that top twenty five again. If not. At the very latest, a win over SMU would would do that as when they're sitting there at at uh, three and one at that point. Um, so it, it could happen sooner rather than later. It all depends on how the frogs look on the field, though, and, and whether or not they take care of business. That you know, that's that's the easiest way to put it. If they're not taking care of things on the field, the, the voters aren't going to give them any love and respect, and, and that's kind of how it should be. So, thank you guys for those questions. That's the last one. I think I got to them all. Um, thanks again to the guys over at Go Cougs for previewing TCU in Houston with Melissa. That is going to do it, though, for this episode of Frogs Insider. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening. I know I sound like a broken record every time I say it, but please make sure that you go subscribe at the YouTube channel, Frogs Insider on YouTube. Make sure that you've left us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcast. That helps us out a tremendous amount. We've been growing like crazy. We want to keep growing like crazy. Uh, and and we love what you guys, how you guys have responded to the show so far. So thank you, thank you, thank you for how you've interacted. Uh, we're asking for a few more things. Again, thanks to our sponsors, Hell's Half Acre and Homefield Apparel as well. We'll be back on Monday morning following TCU's game against Houston. Melissa and I will be together to break all of that down, get some more reactions, uh, and we'll kind of go from there. And then it's Iron Skillet. 
So we're looking forward to next week. Talk to you guys later. Go Frogs.